0: I will turn over to the book of Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, we have a lot to discuss in 35 minutes here. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a man come uh, into my office. In fact, I can blame Pastor Ben for this. He was leaving for lunch and uh, met the, the gentleman out in the parking lot and, um, and, and brought him in. I had seen him before parked outside the day before in the parking lot. It was uh, um, a little interesting. And uh, the very first thing, he comes into my office, and he says that he has a message from God. And so I'm, I kind of, my eyes kind of go up, and he sits down, and um, and he says, I know, you, I know you won't believe me, but God has spoken to me, and he's revealed to me. All right? He says a few words, and then I kind of change the subject and ask him where he's from, and was his family, and a little bit about uh, how, you know, he got here, just moved here not too long ago, a couple years ago or so. And I listen for a moment, and... You know, and just uh, asking you know a little bit about personal stuff, and and uh, he was a nice guy, but he was kind of strange. I asked him. I said, "Hey, have you read your Bible?" "Oh, yeah, I read I read my Bible." I said, "Well, where are you reading at right now?" "Oh, uh, he, he really couldn't be specific." I said, "Where do you go to church?" "Oh, I don't I'm not going to church anywhere." And um, and so uh, he said he he wasn't right now. And I spoke to him about the absolute authority of the Bible and that we go to the Bible for for God's word. And um, and and then he proceeded to tell me that he had a message from God, that he had seen a vision or something or a dream, or as he said, not audibly, but that Jesus was coming back September the 19th of this year. Um, so I, I listened to him a moment. I didn't know, you know, it's kind of sometimes you judge whether somebody is, is confused or has some, some things going on. Uh, With him, so I kind of stood up and and asked him. Said, "Well, come on outside." So we got outside because I felt a little bit concerned at that moment. And we went outside and stood on the on the on the sidewalk. And I prayed with him, uh, chatted with him, and um, hesitantly invited him to church. And he said he would come. And uh, and we just kind of went on. I I I just um, told him that we we had the word of God, and that the scripture said no man knew the hour and um, that it was good to meet him, and and he kind of went on. There's so many people who are confused today about Revelation and about Scripture and God speaking. God no longer speaks in our day through visions and dreams. And the reason is, is because we have God's Word, God's complete Word. It is His written Word from Genesis to Revelation. And the Holy Spirit, when He speaks, He speaks through the Word of God. He's never going to add to it or take away from it. It is, it is God's final Word. We have received what God has for us. And the work of the Holy Spirit is not anything new that is going to be given, either prophecy or information, to any individual one, but is only going to be working via, through His already spoken and written Word. Yet in the past, God did speak through visions and dreams. He did at times audibly speak to individuals in the, in the Old Testament. He did speak through angels and, and angelic uh, messengers who were sent. And we need to be real careful in, our, in the charismatic um, movement today that is very uh, all over the world, not just America, but all over the world, uh, about the dangers of, uh, of of revelation, visions, and dreams, um, and uh, I watched, saw a video clip uh, of, of just come across the screen. These types of things that show up somehow they pop up. I don't know if they, you know, Google knew that I met this guy or not, but Kenneth Copeland showed up on one of the video things, and I saw, and you know, and, and he was in a service and. And he just walked down off the thing. It was just a real short clip. And he, like this, in front of a couple people on the front. And 50 people in the auditorium stood up and started jumping and bouncing and laughing and and screaming and spinning in circles and all this other stuff. And he was blowing the fire of God and all this on people. And I thought, that is so demonic. And, and so, such such error and heresy about what is going on in, in, uh, in a lot of those uh, uh, types of churches and those types of things. But when we go back to the scripture, we do realize that, that God did speak through visions before the close of the canon of scripture. And when we come to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah sees eight visions in his first six chapters. And one of those we were talking about last week and and realizing these visions were given to to help God's people see the plan of God and what God was doing. And when you jump into Zechariah chapter 1 in verse 17, he gives us the day and the time of when he saw this first vision. It was at night. In fact, he says all eight of these visions in the same night. They come one right after the other. And where we were from last week, he saw in verse 8, By night, behold, a a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, in in this valley, these myrtle bushes in the valley. Some probably Kidron Valley is not important. It seems to be around Jerusalem here. And this rider is standing Either standing beside his horse or the horses standing with him on top of the horse. And behind him are three other horses. And we talked last week that these horses also have riders on them as well. Red, white, and speckled are mixed. Some have indicated sorrel, or which would have been a reddish brown type of horse. This is an angel standing then next to Zechariah who shows up in verse 9. Um, as the angel who had talked with me. He shows up 11 times in this in these six chapters. He's the interpreter angel. Or he's the, the narrative of that. Helping by God, sending this angel alongside Zechariah to help him understand what he is seeing. So Zechariah has someone to ask questions to. And sure enough, he asks a question, What are these? This this man on the red horse and these myrtle trees and these other horses that are standing there. And, and what am I seeing here? And notice in verse uh, 7 or um, in verse 10. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And so, the man replies, who's sitting on the red horse, replies to Zechariah, the answer to the question, the Lord has sent out a dispatch. He sent out a patrol. He sent out these these horses, these other three horses, to go throughout the earth, to, to go to and fro. This is interesting. God seems to be using these angelic beings as to show His control over the earth. We're going to see in just a moment that they are scouts and what they are scouting over the earth. So far in this vision, we have seen five angelic beings. Um, the angel that's talking with Zechariah. We've seen four angels on horses, okay? And now the one is direct, there's a rider on horses a red horse, then there are horses. The riders of those horses are not directly stated in this passage. However, they are indirectly spoken of because then the rider on the red horse will speak to them and they will speak to him. It's not the horses that are necessarily speaking. And so you have uh, four horsemen and one rider. However, one of the riders is pointed out specifically over the other riders and he is, he is specifically articulated in the text. And it says here that the Lord, this is Yahweh, has sent these angels over, these writers, over the whole earth to scout out what is going on. And so we see that. Um, now, the very next verse. And they answered... Here's what the the scouts of on patrol are going to come back to their leader. They answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said. Here's what they said. We have walked to and fro throughout the earth. And behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. Now we ended last week. By now we have the identification of the rider on the red horse. He is called the angel of. Of the Lord. He's introduced as a man. And then. Later. When the writers come back to him. They they address him by a title. The angel of the Lord. Now if you follow the title. The angel of the Lord. I believe that there is strong evidence. That this title is the pre-incarnate Christ. So you can go back to verse 8. And he says. Behold a man riding upon a red horse. You can circle that. And you can put. Um, Christ there, uh, and, and the the evidence to that is seen that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is seen as a prominent figure. He is he has direct connection with God. He shows up in Genesis Genesis chapter sixteen. Um, he shows up in Genesis chapter twenty one, in chapter twenty two, in Genesis thirty one. He is seen talking with Jacob. In Exodus 3, he is seen as the one standing in the midst of the burning bush. In Numbers 22, he shows up in front of Balaam and his donkey and the trip that, that goes on there. In Joshua chapter 2, the angel of the Lord recounts how he brought Israel out of Egypt to Joshua. He appears three times in the book of Judges Judges 5, Judges 6, and Judges 22 is the angel or judges 13 is the angel of the lord in first chronicles 21 he appears drawn with a fiery sword ready to destroy jerusalem that's first chronicles 21 he appears twice in the life of elijah first kings chapter 19 and second kings chapter 1 Interesting, in First Kings chapter 19, the angel of the Lord is the one who is sent by God to destroy the 185,000 Assyrians outside of Jerusalem. He is the protector, the personal protector of Israel. Then twice the angel of the Lord appears in the book of Zechariah. Here in this vision, he will appear in one of the other visions later on in the book. And then, those would include that the angel of the Lord also appears in Malachi chapter 3. Now, the angel of the Lord title is not used there. He's called the angel of the covenant. However, that covenant and the angel of the Lord, those two titles that are being, most would see it as synonymous as the same person. Interesting that he shows up in Genesis 16, all throughout the Bible, and then shows up in one of the last chapters of the book in Malachi chapter 3. The angel of the Lord appears all over the Old Testament. Now, may I mention four other places that I believe the angel of the Lord appears, even though the title is not used. Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, the Bible says the Lord, Jehovah, came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Matthew Henry, that old commentator who goes back to the 1600s, states this of that passage. It is supposed that the Lord God came in human form. And that he who judged the world when Adam fell, came looking for Adam, was the same as the one that will judge the world in the last days. So going back a long time, period of time all the way back, that presence of God who came in human form and walked with Adam and Eve was possibly the angel of the Lord. The second time I think the angel of the Lord appears, even though the term is not used, is in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 2. Abraham receives a visit from three men. Two of them are angelic beings, we know, because in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 19, they appear at Lot's house in Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And in Genesis 19 and verse 1, they're told that they are angels. But the most interesting verse in that story appears in Genesis 19 and verse 24. There's a third individual who is a man, who is not a man, he's in, you know, a form of a man, however, he's an angelic being, and he communicates. And, and in fact, just for your sake, just curiosity, turn back to Genesis nineteen, and notice what Moses writes here. Remember, Moses saw the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, and was spoken. Took his shoes off in that place, and so Moses is the one who is who is obviously through the inspiration of Scripture in Genesis nineteen. Look at verse twenty four. And Jehovah, that's the Lord, reigned upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and upon Gomorrah brimstone, and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Now the way this verse reads is that there seems to be two lords. There is the Lord that is on earth who calls fire down, and then there is the Lord, Jehovah, who is in heaven, who sends the fire down. Now, you say, well, it didn't seem to be. Well, if in the Hebrew, and, and it's maybe another translation that you would have here, there, there indicates that the one who was with Abraham is the one who pronounces and calls the judgment. He was the third angel upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's called here the angel or he's called the Lord, Jehovah. And then there's Lord Jehovah up in heaven. He seems to be in two different places. Now I know it in some extents it's not. However, interesting John Gill would say this. John Gill also goes back to 1700s, I believe. He says this of this passage. This destruction was brought on to them, that's Sodom and Gomorrah, by Jehovah the Son of God who appeared to Abraham in human form and gave him notice of it, heard all that he had pled for the cities, then departed from him to Sodom, and was the author of the sad catastrophe. This amazing shower of fire and brimstone was then rained down upon, or down from, by him who was in heaven, Jehovah the Father. Now, it's just an interpretation and is seeing in that passage, potentially, I would, I would see, because also this person is the one who ends up prophesying uh, to, to Abraham about, um, and, and Sarah about a son that would be born. Uh, the third place that possibly the angel of the Lord appears, even though the title is not used, is in Joshua chapter 5. I made reference to this last week. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, He is called there the commander of the army of Jehovah. And he is seen as a warrior who has a sword in his hand and he peers to Joshua. Joshua bows down to this individual and worships him. And notice in the story in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is not told to get up. Anytime someone bows down to an angelic being, such as John on two occasions... He is told to stand up, don't worship me. However, Joshua bows down and the word worship is used in that text that he is worshiping this commander. And this commander does not refuse his worship. In fact, the commander says this to Joshua, take off your shoes for you are standing on holy ground. And Joshua immediately takes his shoes off. All right, so it... it, it, In the presence of this commander of the armies of the Lord, there is something different about him than any other angelic being. He is standing on holy ground. He presents the very presence and glory of God and he receives worship. And I also made reference to the fourth time that I think that the angel of the Lord appears, even though his term is not used, is in Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees a fourth man. A man, human form, Who is standing there. Could that have been another angel? Could it have been Gabriel? Maybe it could. But I believe there is some description within Nebuchadnezzar's term. When he says he is like unto the sons of God. Or the son of God. Is a description of some kind of deity. He recognized This, this this is from God. This is divine. Now, I, I believe, so those are, those are four other places, there can, different people can, can argue um, uh, about that, but what, what, the, what the term is here, when we come to this vision, we see here in this vision, we see the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, I found some verses this week just in my study when we were talking about angels. You remember guardian angels? Psalm 91 and verse 11 says this, For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all, to guard thee in all thy ways. Now that later on will come up in Jesus' temptation, and that is a messianic psalm. However, David was writing this knowing that the angels are have a have a, a level of protection. Psalm one hundred three and verse twenty. Bless the Lord, you His angels that exalt in strength and do His commandments. You hearken unto the voice of His word. Angels are sent as messengers from God, and they do His bidding. These angelic beings. So. There is this special presence of the angel of the Lord, this divine messenger. He actually appears, if you want to write it down, he appears 50 times in the Old Testament. I just made reference to a few of the major ones. He is seen and felt throughout the whole Old Testament, from Genesis to the book of Malachi. So I want you to know, as you see these five angelic beings, three of them, um, or or, uh, four of them, are just normal, normal angels. But the fifth one is the angel of the Lord. He's, he, they come back. So what we see in the scene, look down in, at the end of verse 11. We have walked to and fro. They're giving a report to their commander-in-chief, the angel of the Lord. And they say, we've gone throughout the earth. And behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. In other words, everything is calm and quiet. I wrote down here, this is a mother's life verse. Okay. All is quiet and calm, okay? Memorize that, that verse. All of the earth is calm and quiet, all right? It seems to be everything is okay. So what we have here is they have been sent on a mission to patrol the earth, looking around and seeing what is going on. And they come back and they say, everything is at peace. Everything is at quiet. However, what is going on in Jerusalem. What is going on in Jerusalem? This could be good news or it could be bad news. Is this the quiet before the storm or is this the quiet after the storm? We're not told. We have to go through the rest of the vision to see that. Look down in verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, stop there. Now we have a conversation between the rider on the red horse, who is the angel of the Lord, which is, I just told you, my interpretation would be that 's the pre incarnate Christ, the Son of God, having a conversation with the Lord Jehovah, who is Jehovah of hosts, the one who was introduced earlier. so now this writer looks up to the Father and the Son are having this conversation right here is is a description of a conversation between the Godhead, okay. We we have God the Son who is on earth in this vision who is the angel of the Lord speaking up to God the Father who is the Lord of hosts that's already been mentioned what what I say 7 8 times already in this just by the time we get to verse 11 the the Lord of hosts Jehovah of hosts okay that is that is going on there so the angel of the Lord and the Lord of hosts are seen as separate persons but yet they're both the Lord Jehovah. So somebody said, well, the Trinity is never taught in the Old Testament. However, there are places within the Old Testament that we can see. There is, there is a plurality of personhood within the Godhead, right? Um, one author wrote this about the angel of the Lord. In fact, we think the angel of the Lord is the most important and central figure in the whole Old Testament the most frequent way god is revealed and appears way more than uh, often than more people actually realize the story of the bible from the old testament to the new testament is about the angel of the lord him and notice what this angel of the lord says he cries out to the Lord of hosts up in heaven, how long will you have mercy or will you not have mercy upon Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these 70 years. Three score and ten years. These 70 years. He cries out and he says, How long? This means that what we are seeing here is that the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, is interceding between Jerusalem... God's people, and the Father who is sitting on the throne, the Lord of hosts. And right there in the middle, you have the pre-incarnate Christ saying, Lord, how long? How long? He, he's playing a position of mediator, an advocate between his people and God the Father. Talking about, Lord, when will you show mercy on your people? How long are you going to withhold it? Uh, Look at verse 13. And the Lord answered, the angel that talked with me. So now, not the angel, the Lord. The Lord now is going to talk to to, uh, the one standing next to Zechariah. With good words and comfortable words. This is words of comfort. Verse 14. So the angel that communed with me, that talked with me, said to me, Cry thou, saying... Thus says the Lord of hosts. So now he's given Zechariah a message to write down. So the Lord speaks to the angel, and the angel tells Zechariah, write this down, or or, or, um, he's going to write this down, but proclaim this or speak this. And, um, And here's the message that he is to give. I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. All right. This is a word that he uses. I am very jealous over Jerusalem and Zion. This is very similar to what he said in chapter 1 and verse 2 when he said, I am angry with anger. He uses the word jealousy twice. In fact, I think he uses it three times. I am very jealous with jealousy. That's the way this, this phrase reads. Um, and then in the next statement, he says... Uh, In in verse 15, I am very sore displeased. I am angry with great anger with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little angry, a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. They made the affliction worse. It's worse. So what we are seeing here in this verse is we are seeing the love of God for his people. That's the word it comes out in the word jealous. Like a husband who is jealous for his wife because he loves her. This is a positive jealousy. And then a hatred that is coming out towards the one who has mistreated his wife. Interesting terminology that is being seen here. These, these nations who these angels saw that were all quiet and peaceful, now we get a glimpse into the heart of God and how He actually feels about what's going on on earth. He's jealous. He's jealous towards His people. He wants them back. He's angry. He's angry at the nations of this world who have, who have oppressed them and afflicted them. And it started out a little bit, that's what the verse says, I was a little bit displeased with them. And then it got worse as they afflicted them more and more. So we see, we get a glimpse of what's going on in the heart of God. All seems to be peaceful, but in heaven, God is stirring. His heart is broken. He has a love for his people. He's very jealous for his people. But he also has an anger that is boiling and his wrath is boiling. It's like a parent who is watching the bully push his child, their child around and the parent is waiting patiently and getting more red in the face and the steam's coming out of the neck. And you saying, okay, just hold on a second here. Are you. In a second, you, know, you just wait until I get my hands on you and when no, nobody, and then all of a sudden, how long? And then the child looks up and says, mom, how long are you going to let this bully beat me? Right. and then mom steps in so, so you got what's going on a very similar type of scene that God's people have been oppressed God's people have been have, have been afflicted by the nations of this world that have come in and afflicted them and you got the angel of the Lord that is interceding with the father saying how long are you going to let this go on and not show mercy to your people And then God looks down and says, I'm jealous. I love my people. I want them for myself. And I'm angry with great anger at the nations who have afflicted these people. Notice what he says in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, plural. There's a whole lot of it. And in verse 16 down to verse 17, he gives eight, um, let's see, do you have it here? One, two, three, four, five, um, six. Six promises. First of all, he, he, the Lord's going to step out and return. He's going to return with these mercies. This word mercies is the word Compassion. And this is the same word that is used back in verse 3 of the same chapter that said, if you will turn to me, I will turn to you. Now God is turning towards his people. God is going to turn in compassion to his people. That's the first thing. The second thing that he says here is he says, my house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the second promise. God is going to return. And the second promise is, I'm going to build my house. Now that house is in reference to his temple. He's going to come back and he's going to rebuild his temple. Then there's a third promise here in this verse. Not only is he going to build the temple, a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. This is a measuring tape. This is going to come up again in one of the other visions. That's what a line is. A line is going to, he's going to measure it. He's going to measure it out. That's what a line is going to do. Same as the description. Interesting, the same description is spoken of in Jeremiah 31, 38, and 40, where then the temple, the future temple in Jerusalem, is going to be measured by someone who has a line. Same description that is used is going to be stretched forth. Then in verse 17, he says here, uh, uh, number 4, he says in verse 17, he said, I am, yeah, cry out saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities... Through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. So his cities are going to be spread or this would be overflow. They're going to find blessing. They're going to prosper. God's people will experience good from the hand of God. Five. five the fifth promise saith the Lord of Hope. Or, yeah, the Lord shall yet comfort Zion. He's going to bring comfort to his people. And then six. He shall yet choose Jerusalem. So what is happening here is God is through this vision letting Zechariah and his people know he is in control. He's got these angelic beings that run to and fro to the earth. Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ who is standing on this horse is ready to charge at any moment. He's advocating, he's mediating between God and his people. God is in control. Number two, God is not finished with his people. He will return. He will build their temple. He will bring comfort. He will bring prosperity to his people in their land. He is not finished with Israel. And number three, God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten his people. Don't, and he tells him, don't you ever give up on me because I've never given up on you and I never will. That is the message of comfort that comes through in this passage. Now, I want, I want you to look here at the next vision. It's, just, it's only quick and only four verses that are written out here. Then lifted I up mine eyes and saw and beheld four horns. We can go through this one much quicker because we went through the previous one and we just followed the same rules. I lifted up my eyes and saw four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord then showed me four carpenters. You can see this word here, carpenters, is a word of a man who has skill. It was used for... Uh, One who worked with wood, one who worked with stone, and one who worked with metal. It can be used interchangeably, and it is used interchangeably throughout. It's just basically a man who is a a skilled worker. All right? Then said I, what come these to do? In other words, what are these carpenters? What are these four skilled workers? And he spake, saying, these are the horns which are scattered, Judah... So that no man did lift up his head. Notice the humility here. But these are come to fray them and to cast out the horns of the Gentiles which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter them. So so what we have in this second vision is we have four horns and four carpenters or skilled workers. Um, just give you some information, you can do your own study. If you were to go in the Old Testament and you were to search out where horns show up in Old Testament literature. They show up in apocalyptic literature. They show up in Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. That is possibly giving us some direction on what these horns are. Don't think of trumpets or a French horn. Think of ram's horns from the head. They also show up in Revelation chapter 12 and 13 when John sees a beast, he sees four beasts very similar to the beast that Daniel's going to see that comes out of the out of the ocean and the last beast comes out and he has over his head seven horns with seven or 10 horns with 10 crowns, seven heads. That's what's seen in Revelation. Horns were often pictures and descriptions in apocalyptic literature for authority and power, kings and leaders. That's what Daniel sees and John sees. However, horns also show up in the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. She says this, Lord, you have exalted my horn above my enemies. And in Psalm 18 and verse 2, David calls Yahweh his horn. And in Psalm 75 and verse 10, David says, You have cut off the horns of my enemies. What is that? Horns in both literature in the Psalms and in prayers, or such as in Hannah's State and in apocalyptic literature, speaks of leadership, authority, and power. And so what we have here is we have four horns that show up. These are four powers. Are they kings? Are they kingdoms like Daniel in, in, um, in Revelation 12? It doesn't really matter. These horns have oppressed his people. They have scattered them throughout the world. So then God sends four skilled workers, four carpenters, to cut off these four horns. And when you cut off a horn you're cutting off the power and the strength that that animal has. And so in this description, you have a very similar scene of God's anger that is now upon the nations of this world that have oppressed and scattered His people. So God is going to send instruments to come and cut off the horns and, and bring fear and terror. That's the word fray that is used in the King James. It means to, to cause fear and terror to come into these, uh, these nations. What are the instruments that God uses? These carpenters? I don't necessarily know. It's a vision. We're not given necessarily the description of that. But we are told that God will take care of those who afflict His people. God has not forgotten. God is pointing out his judgment on the Gentile nations. That he is angry with great anger. And the nations that have scattered God's people are going to see the judgment of God for their evil. And he will find workers to do this task. Don't spend too much time on figuring out who these workers are. God's going to do it. God sometimes uses nations. He uses other people. God sometimes uses supernatural means. And the comfort of this vision is that God holds the nations of the world accountable in how they treat His people. Israel. America better listen to a message such as this. One day the Antichrist and his world empire will attempt to destroy the nation of Israel again. And God will hold to His promise. And he will protect them, and he will ultimately bring defeat and destruction to these Gentile powers. He has done it before, and he will do it again. Father, I pray as we close tonight, uh, Lord, in a lot of fashion, these visions are going to recycle themselves through these next couple chapters, the same message, really over and over again. That God has not lost control. That God is angry at sin and the mistreatment of his people. God will fulfill his promises to his kingdom. He has not forgotten his people and his promises to them. And they can have comfort that God is going to judge the wicked. And what do the righteous do? Uh, We take comfort. In the fact that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And even though that things may seem difficult and hard in the moment. um, Things will come out exactly as you have purposed and planned. That doesn't uh, neglect our responsibility. We have a task to do. And we fit into that plan. Lord, would you give us comfort to know that you, you have a prophecy, you have things that are going to be fulfilled, and we can trust your word uh, down to the very, the very jot and tittle. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, thank you for your attention this evening. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.